Mic check, one, two, there we go, good. I should get a check from T-Mobile or Sprint for that or something. <laughs> um, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Pastor Paul. Uh, neat story about Pastor Paul and I. I remember we were in college, I was in college and I was working security in the morning. So it was like a 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. to whatever shift, I don't know. But I remember I was reading a passage of scripture. It's my favorite book in the Bible. It's 1 Samuel. The reason why it's my favorite book is because I can envision it. That's the type of learner I am. That's the type of how I interpret things. I envision things. And in 1 Samuel, you know, when David, he kills Goliath. Anybody ever seen the movie Troy? In the opening scene when Brad Pitt stabs Baragrius in the shoulder and he dies? That's how I envision David slaying Goliath. But anyway, I was reading that story. I was reading that story and Pastor Paul happens to walk by. And I was struggling. You may not remember this. You may... And I was struggling with some, some issues and some stuff about, like, uh, my theology. And Pastor Paul looked busy. He had, like, 15 backpacks, like, 80 books. I think he was in the middle of his doctorate. And he sat there and talked to me for, like, an hour about this issue I was dealing with. So thank you, Pastor Paul. I love you. Appreciate you. Anyways, good morning. How are we doing? Good. Weather's weird. It's hot, then it's cold, then it's cold, then it's hot. But we persevere, right? Let's get started. In preparation for our time together this morning, I uh, fellowshiped with God and I asked him, Lord, what would you have me convey to your people? I received quite the peculiar answer because it came in the form of what I like to call treacherous contortion. In other words, God didn't directly come down in his James Earl Jones because in my head, God sounds like James Earl Jones. And if you don't know who that is, allow me to enlighten you. He is an actor and the voice of the venerable Mufasa, king of the Pride Lands. Anyway, in my head, that's what God sounds like, James Earl Jones. But that's not how he gave me inspiration and clarity on what he would have me speak on today. What did occur was that every time I would take the opportunity to commune with God regarding this morning, one thing would come to mind each single time. It would consume my cognition to the point I would rabbit hole into melancholy where I would ask myself, why am I doing this? Then one day, I shifted into the gear of my memory where I was a 21-year-old, two-time college freshman that was questioning my entire existence. The who, what, when, where, why, and how were negatively running rampant in my mind. I was a walking interrogative. And in my assigned chapel seat, which was only occupied because God had a plan to uproot the roots of question in my life with a definite answer, someone had a message derived from the same scripture we will share today. It was as if someone pre-programmed my hand to turn the pages of my Bible and unlock a pivotal yet archived moment in my life. I turn to the scripture for here this morning, which is 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. And God's word reads, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, 
as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, Derek, (laughs) or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let, not, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, Jesus. Thank you that by that sacrifice, we can live life and life more abundantly. Father, I pray that your word would be clear, that it would be concise, and it would be applicable to those who hear it this morning. Father, be with us in all that we do. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. After that chapel service, I went to lunch, as was customary in college. If my memory serves me well, American chop suey was on the menu, which was also customary in college. As I sat at the lunch table, pasta festooning my fork, externally I must have seemed locked in stoic resignation, but internally there was a revolution that was taking place. I was attempting to reconcile the thought that what I was doing was right to why did it feel so wrong. The definition of suffering is the state of undergoing pain, distress, and hardship. I thought, here I am in college, learning about the Word of God, installing good Christian practices and values, training to be a purveyor of Christ, but all the while, my world was caving in. I was still a new believer that was dealing with the qualms of my faith, and perhaps this morning, you've recently received the revelation of Christ, or maybe you hold tenure in the faith. No matter where you land on the spectrum of Christianity, if you are struggling with the correlation between faith and suffering, the same truth applies. And in the words of Dr. George Cope, the man who God used that morning in my life, when I thanked him and said, I believed that that word was for me. His reply was simply, it was for you. And this morning, it is for you. In the words of Ben Franklin, in this life, nothing is certain except death and taxes. If I may make a revision to that statement and add a third certainty, death, taxes, and suffering. 
Suffering in life is inevitable, definite. It will occur lock, stock, and barrel. As a matter of fact, by a show of hands, who has had to endure some suffering in their life? I know I have, right? The only subjective part about suffering in life is what suffering looks like to an individual and what you do with your suffering. Suffering occurs in an insurmountable number of ways. Think about it. We are less than a generation removed from perhaps the most egregious century in human existence. Two world wars, genocide after genocide, Jim Crow both domestically and abroad. I could stand here until I grow old mentioning the atrocities of human history that have invoked so much suffering. But I don't want to focus on that this morning. What I do want to focus on is what Christ has instructed those who follow him on how they ought to deal with suffering in his name and for his sake. I pondered long and hard about suffering, and I concluded this. What not to do is to get together in a mob because all it does is allow us to be as horrible as possible and suffer from none of the consequences. Three of the four gospel accounts chronicle Jesus' words to his disciples. But for today's application, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, If anyone were to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In a way, what Jesus was stating to his followers was a precursor to our passage here this morning. Now, do we have reasons to be a horrible person? Of course. There's a lot of reasons to be resentful. I'll spot you one. Everyone we've ever known and loved is going to perish, ourselves included. And there's going to be an exponential amount of suffering in this thing we call life. There are an abounding number of viable reasons to be the worst versions of ourselves. There's no wonder why horror and resentment would riddle our very being, but the most detrimental stunt that we could ever pull is to exemplify said horror and resentment because all it would do is make all that you're suffering from infinitely worse. So, what do we do with this suffering? This may go down as unpopular belief, but what you do is you accept it. You pray for the best, but always, always prepare for the worst. I recently took up boxing. I tried to coerce Pastor Dylan into it, but I don't know, I'm still working at it. Listen, Paris 2024, Olympic gold medal, right there. All right? Someone once described boxing as high-level problem-solving with dire consequence. And to that I say, indeed. When a boxer envisions their bout, they're hoping and praying for an easy night. First punch, bang, good night, everyone goes home. Now, if it were that easy, there would be no reason to spend all the hours in the gym training mentally and physically and putting themselves through the ringer. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, 
We can pray, believe, and have faith. But if we do not put in the work and prepare for the worst, faith is dead. So in our preparedness, Peter is speaking to us, and I love how he constructs the opening to the portion of this chapter. In one word, he imparts love and belonging to those who may read it and perhaps be in the eye of suffering. Peter says, verse 12, Beloved, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter is saying, don't be surprised when you are under the siege of suffering. You prepared for this. You're built for this. This is what comes with the territory. He goes further in verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. As a believer in Christ, I find myself under, if I find myself under the same persecution and sufferings as him, then I must be doing the right thing. So therefore, I am glad and I rejoice in it. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, our suffering is rooted in something that is infinite, beyond time, space, and measure. We are entrenched in Christ and woven into the everlasting embrace of his love. You know what I say for suffering for his sake? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God that I'm allotted the privilege to wage and toil on his behalf and that my soul's echo won't be interlaced with some foobar malignant path that will cease to exist the moment I no longer draw breath. Hallelujah that at the threshold of my sufferings in Christ sits and awaits, verse 14, the spirit of glory and of God. Praise Jesus. I'm a huge history buff. I love researching, reading, watching anything that has to do with the events of yesteryear. I think it stems from my obsession of Ecclesiastes 1.9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Maybe it's because I want to impart in my sphere of influence the positive aspect of that scripture. Anyway, I want to read you some names of people throughout history. And if you recognize these names, maybe, just maybe, you might be a bit of a history buff yourself. Ready? Charles Manson. Ted Bundy. Butch Cassidy. John Dillinger. Pol Pot. Adolf Hitler. These are a few names that, in the famous words of our 32nd president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, will forever live in infamy. Verse 15. But let not none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. The most intriguing part of this scripture, in my opinion, is the last designation that Peter states, and that is a meddler. The definition of meddler is to involve oneself in a matter without right or invitation. Excuse me, invitation. Simply, 
involving oneself in something that is none of your business and beyond your control. As I look throughout our society today, I can't help but notice that meddling is rampant. The onus on political correctness is at a fever pitch. At every twist and turn, we are constantly being told what we can and can't do, say, and represent. Socially prescribed group identity supplants individualism and determines moral supremacy under the guise of acceptance and tolerance, but it's based in hostile resistance and intolerance. We've reached a point of degradation to where even individual thought is being policed. I'm a huge advocate of personal responsibility. A teacher by trade, I regularly encourage my students to focus on what they can control. I instill in them, in every problematic situation you find yourself in, before you point the finger, look in the mirror. In other words, address your mistakes before shedding light on someone else's. Stay in your lane. Peter deliberately expresses these sufferings to make known that not all suffering is endured righteously. There is a clear distinction. Verse 16. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. See, suffering and shame, suffering and sin bring shame, but suffering for Christ is anything but shameful. Story time. I'm going to be very transparent, so bear with me. I remember being newly saved, and as the term goes, and all I wanted to do was tell any and every soul about Jesus. So much so that my friends begin to call me Hood Preacher. Hood Preacher. I should coin that, copyright it, get some checks for it or something. I would literally walk up to strangers and verbatim say, do you know that Jesus loves you and wants to be friends? I'm sure people will put off. Here's this kid still bearing all the um, indicators of a rough and tough inner city lifestyle, invading their personal space, and furthermore, he's talking about Jesus? But as time began to go by, I find myself decreasing in the zeal for my proclamation of Christ. After a while, it wasn't that I didn't want to converse about him. I just had more, become more interested in people's perception of me. And to be frank, I was ashamed. Ashamed that my social status my ability to generate income, or whatever frivolous excuse that I could derive to retreat further into the abyss of my own pride. This shame that began to conjure is most likely what led to the grim and gloomy state that I found myself during that stage back in college. See, it could have easily drove me down a path of resentment, anger, and horror, but thank God that he had other plans, ones of glory of grace and abundance. If you're here this morning, and perhaps you're in a similar place as I was, if you're in a place of suffering and you're feeling like you're toiling in vain, a place of uncertainty, and you're petitioning God to alleviate you, I'm here to employ you to take heed to Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary of doing good, 
For in due season, you will reap the spirit of God and of glory. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Verse 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? See, suffering can derive from righteous, righteous indignation or corrupt wrath. But despite the stark contrast, suffering can always be used by God. In this passage of Scripture, judgment and suffering coincide. It is meant to refine, filter, and prune. Again, let me reiterate that suffering is no or easy or kind. As a matter of fact, it will be tough. It will be painful. The key distinction, however, is that in Christ, you need not be ashamed. In Christ, you can stand in the face of suffering. A couple of weeks ago in kids' church, shout out to Northeast Kids, we learned about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the face of what seemed like unimaginable suffering, they were able to double down on their conviction, stand firm, and hold the line. Why? Because they knew whom they were serving. The outcome of stepping into that fiery furnace would have been certain death. But just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we serve a God who conquered hell, death, and the grave. He endured the ultimate suffering and conquered it so when the inevitable suffering that comes our way is seeking to destroy you, it will not prevail. By God, you will be more than a victor and will emerge not only victorious, but refined. Romans 8, 37. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You will, you will have gone through the fiery trial, faced judgment, and are now equipped to aid in the alleviation of others' suffering and be a viable witness to the goodness of God. Ethan, you can come on up. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. 2012, I had finally defeated the Colossus of Clout, known as my freshman year in college. And I was elated and ecstatic and optimistic about going home and speaking to my friends about, I finally did it, I crushed freshman year. And I was also reflective, because during those two years away at school, I had lost some friends. How many of us know the, the deeper you go into Christ, you're going to lose friends, you're going to lose family, you're going to love people you care, you're going to lose people you care about. I had lost some friends. I had a friend tell me, you think you're better than us now. As a matter of fact, it was the friend who gave me and coined the term hood preacher. He said, you think you're better than us now. And in my, in my spirit, in myself, I didn't think I was better than anyone. As I said, I was suffering my own qualms. I was trying to figure it out. 
But as I returned home that summer, I was optimistic and hopeful that I could rekindle our friendship, only to find out that during that summer he had been shot and killed. Now I suffered for a long time with that. God, why would you have me come to you and learn about you and then lose a friend only to have them die before I could reconcile that, that relationship? I was suffering long and hard trying to figure it out. Why, God, why, why? But you see, in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the trial, God is there with you. He's not abstract from the situation. He doesn't leave you to fight the battle alone. And in my qualm, in my fight of suffering, trying to figure out why, he told me and he reassured me that I was with you. And even though you've lost this friend, you have not lost your faith. And Peter, he ends this chapter with reassurance. This last verse informs us of the sovereignty and faithfulness of God. Verse 12 says that these trials will come to test you. And of course, God in his sovereignty knows that these tests are coming. In fact, sometimes God even sanctions them. Job 1.8 And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Now you may be here this morning carrying luggage full of suffering and blame, and you may not be the most upstanding citizen in the kingdom of God. And to that I say, the resounding sound of the gavel bang in your fiery trial has already rung. The verdict, victory. You have victory over suffering, shame, guilt, pain, hell, sin, and the devil himself. You have victory. You have been refined by the fire and have been made more than a conqueror. And to God be the glory in which you as inheritors in his kingdom also shall reap. Lastly, I impart to you these words from Jesus himself, for when you find yourself in the face of suffering. John 5, 8. Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. Rise up, take up your bed and walk. In the face of a divorce, rise up, take up your bed and walk. In the face of sickness, rise up, take up your bed and walk. In the middle of a family quarrel, rise up, take up your bed and walk. In between jobs where you don't see the money to make it, rise up, take up your bed and walk because Jesus is with you. And when he is with you, who can be against you? Hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the fiery trial. We thank you, Lord, that in the middle of the fire, you are with us. That you endure the pain with us. That you endure the peril and the strife with us. 
and through your sacrifice on the cross, we have victory. Father, there is none like you. So in light of that truth, Lord God, let us use the truth of your word to affect our spheres of influence. And let us be more than conquerors in the face of suffering. Father, we love you. And if there is anyone here today that may not know you or knows you but has been estranged, Father, I pray that right now in, the mo in this moment, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will rekindle that fire in their, in their soul. Right now, Lord, you would give them a tangible vision and experience with you. Father, we thank you. We love you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Listen to this. What a beautiful truth. A few verses later, a few chapters later, in chapter 5 of the same book, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Do you know what makes diamonds? Pressure. Do you know what moves gold from 5 to 10 to 14, 12 to 14 to 24 carat to pure gold? Fire and refinement. Do you know how God purifies our faith and draws us closer to him? Sometimes he allows us to go through things, but he doesn't leave us in those things. Some of you here this morning, you're right in the middle of a fiery trial. I'm going to ask for all of us across this room to stand. And I'd ask you, if you're online watching, to give thought to this because you're here as a part of this as much as anyone in this room, whether you're watching this days later or right now. I'd ask you to close your eyes and you'd say, Pastor Paul, I'm coming to church. I'm doing all these things, but I'm suffering. I am in the middle. I am hurting. I am suffering. I'm in the middle of a divorce. I, what does suffering look like? It looks like shame. It looks like humiliation. It looks like, it looks like heartache. It looks like um, be, being uh, knocked out from, from trying to get back up. I mean, it, we could talk about a thousand, but you're saying, I'm trying to go in the right direction, but I am suffering, and it hurts, and I feel betrayed, and I feel in pain right now. If that's you across this room with every head bowed and eye closed, just lift up your hand real quick so I can see it. Just me, just you, just Jesus. Thank you. I see hands all over here. Maybe that's you online. Maybe you're here this morning. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, you know what? I'm in this situation and this suffering because I made some really bad choices. I am so grateful when Kevin was saying, in your divorce, get up. In your grief, get up. And all that, because I'm so grateful that when Jesus walked by the man that was on the mat, he didn't say, you made your bed, now you sleep in it. Jesus said to him, pick up your mat, rise, and walk. I'm going to ask one more question. If you'd close your eyes and bow your head just to respect somebody's personal hurt here. But you're in a situation that is of your own making. You know that you created that situation. You know you're in pain because of bad choices. You know that you're hurting and you're saying to yourself, I, I made my bed, I should sleep in it. 
But if God would just say to me, pick up my mat, rise and walk, if God could look at me and say, I know that you put you in the, yourself in this place, but I'm not going to leave you in this place. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to forgive you. If that's you and you want that this morning, just raise your hand. Raise your hand. All across your hands going up. Listen, God doesn't care how you got in that space, in that place, because that's not where you're called to stay. He brings you through trials. And the God of all grace who called you, you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered for a little while will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast that you do not relapse. Strong and firm and steadfast that this is the marriage that lasts forever. Strong and firm and steadfast that the thing you said goodbye to you never say hello to ever again. God is going to bring you through. Father, in the name of Jesus, across this room, we just pray for hope. We pray for us to pick up our mat, rise, and walk. Lord, you never waste a trial. You never waste a difficult situation. You never waste a pain or an ache. But it says that you are making us into the image of Jesus and that when we go through it, that we will come out strong and firm and forgiven. Right now, in the name of Jesus, for all those people who got themselves into their problem, I say the same thing that he said, you said, Lord, to that cripple. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Listen, the problem isn't Jesus forgiving you. The problem is, is that you need to learn to forgive yourself. He can take care of the forgiveness thing. You've got your part. You need to pick up your story and start walking towards him. And you're going to be strong and you are gonna be firm, and you are gonna be steadfast, and you are, they're gonna call you hood preacher, and they're gonna call you different, and they're gonna call you changed, because the same Jesus that moved in my life, and in his life, and in Dylan's life, and in Ethan's life, and continues to be the same God that moves in the, their lives and our lives, is the same God that is still with you. The world says you made your bed, now sleep in it. Jesus says, pick up your mat, rise, and walk because I will forgive you, make you strong, strong, firm, and steadfast. Walk out of this place this morning in the hope that the victory is a sealed deal. Walk in the truth that God has forgiven you and that he has good things for you. Walk in the truth that he doesn't look at you ashamed and embarrassed, but that he looks at you and he says, this is my little girl, this is my little boy. This is my son and my daughter with whom I am well pleased. And I will make you strong and firm and steadfast. God knows you're in the fire. He didn't put you there, but he allowed you to get there. He knows you're in the pressure, but he's going to make you like Jesus through it. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the, the truth through Kevin's life and living it and what was able to be accomplished here this morning because of it. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, in a strange way for the fire because sometimes we just get so distracted with our appetites and our desires and our the things that we want that, that sometimes pain causes us to stop and reflect and look at what's really important. And then you get us to look up to see what you're really doing. And so I just pray that we would leave here hearing that bell of victory. Thank you for Kevin's story today. Thank you for the truth in 1 Peter. And thank you that the person that brought that word in 1 Peter was the one who denied you three times. Thank you for every person that's in here and in a difficult situation, even if it's of their own making, because you're the God that gets us to pick up our mat 
and walk for you. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. We will see you next week. You will want to be here, especially if you know people who are around here that know the legacy of this church. Iris Pelly is 80 in body and age, but she is 18 in vigor. She is a woman of God. She leaned over to me last week and she said, Paul, this church is saturated with prophetic words and prayer and promise. This is the church that is going to see the harvest. God is going to bring it in. We believe that. You're going to be blessed. And then after that, I have a message on the presence of God that we're going to talk about the following week. And then we're going to start a new series on well-being and being well and walking in all that God has for us. You're going to be encouraged, uplifted. In the meantime, go in the grace of God. Take somebody with you to your house. Take somebody out to eat. We love you and appreciate you online and in presence as well. God bless you. Let's give it one more time for Pastor Kevin doing such a great job. Thank you, media team, you unsung heroes up there. Thank you for joining us for Lowell Assembly's online services. If you missed any portion of today's sermon and you want to catch it again, you can do that by going to lowellag.org and hitting past messages or by searching Lowell Assembly of God on Spotify or the Apple Podcast app. We'll see you next week.